Thank you, Brian. What was that man's name? What was the quote, his name? Rob. Rob. Oh. Good morning. Hawkins? I think so. I knew a Ron Hawkins. Close, but not close enough. Good morning. We're going to be in 1 Samuel 27 as we continue our series uh, from the life of David, uh, particularly chapters uh, 21 to 31 of 1 Samuel, learning to sing in the desert. Last week we were in chapter 26 through 27, 1 through 4. I want to pick up and expand on a couple of things because what what was emphasized last week is so important. So it deserves a little reinforcement. And uh, let me read to us 1 Samuel 27, verses 1 through 4. Then David said in his heart, Now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. There's nothing better for me than that I should escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will despair of seeking me any longer within the borders of Israel, and I shall escape out of the land. So David arose and went over, he and the 600 men who were with him, to Achish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. And David lived with Achish at Gath, he and his men, every man with his household, and David with his two wives, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail of Carmel, Nabal's widow. And when it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, he no longer sought him. Now, that's a ho-hum, I suppose, but after chapter 26 and the progression of David's life, uh, wow, that just took me by surprise. He's had a significant victory in chapter 26. And we move directly to the words, then David, or and David, for the very first time we get a glance, a chance to know David's inner thoughts. And he makes a monumental decision. It's it's an about face. And the NIV, if you use the New International Version, it actually picks up this about face, this disjunction, because it begins verse 27 of chapter 27, verse 1, with the word but. But David. This is the first occasion in 1 Samuel that we're given an opportunity to overhear David's inner thoughts. And what do we hear? a train of thought that leads him to jump the tracks. That's the power of our thoughts. David thought to himself, I shall perish. There's nothing better for me than that I should escape to the Philistines. I shall escape Saul's hand. So David arose and went over. The power of thoughts especially on the heels of what is arguably, obviously, something of a, of a triumph, given the fact that he is being sought by Saul, 
and he goes into the heart of his camp. God aids him. He has a confrontation with Saul. Saul once again admits his sin, his fault. They go their separate ways. That's a big yeha, you know? And then it begins, but David, or then David, thought to himself. What a train wreck. He chooses to do what he didn't want to be forced to do. That's made clear in chapter 26. And that was to leave the land, the Lord's inheritance. And he entertains none of the principles that were in play in his life that guided him in dire circumstances. But he hears now only the woe of his own concerns for his welfare. It shows you the desert can really get to you. And I have a hunch we can sympathize. But we are learning to sing in the desert, not grumble and die there. And I want to review three key concerns to going the distance, getting across, through, and beyond the desert, learning to sing in the desert uh, with the confidence and hope of God's truth. And so last week, we talked about treasuring the truth that's so vital to survival in the Lord. Treasuring the truth, observing the presence of God. Even when we're singing here, I experience that. In fact, being in the present is so important. Do you ever sing those lyrics and you feel like, you're not worthy of the very thing you're singing? And what happens? You, you reflect ever so quickly. I mean, it's just amazing how much we can compute. And at that moment, in feeling unworthy, something kind of bleeds out of or drains out of you know, the experience, the, the full-bodied, whole-souled singing unto the Lord and feeling worthy and knowing that He is delighted in your heart and your worship. Because of what? Because of the past. Because of yesterday. Or even this morning. But what about this moment? Is not your heart right now? Are you not fully engaged there? Isn't that what the Lord wants? And isn't, as we will soon celebrate, the cup, the bread, isn't that what the death of Jesus Christ won for us? And if we could string those moments of living in the present, freeing ourselves from what happened and really knowing the presence of God to its fullest, wouldn't that begin to move us in changing and knowing the power of his presence in our lives? Well, and then to prefer the plan of God. 
treasuring the truth. Last, uh, last Sunday, it was interesting that Brian referred to Joshua. Be strong. Be courageous. And I shared with the sixth graders as they were graduating, and we presented them each a Bible. And I talked about what that Bible means to them. And I quoted Psalm 119.105, Your word is a light unto my path, a lamp unto my feet. That's the power of truth. There are other things in our lives that are like a flashlight. <laughs> in our lives, things that guide and direct us. But that's why Paul in Romans, after introducing him to the church at Rome, which he had yet to visit, that he sent that letter to, uh, you know, as a forerunner of his presence so that they might know his gospel, what he's all about. Because he wanted them in Rome to be able to, in a wholehearted way, support him, even as he had imagination in the Lord to go beyond Rome to Spain and other locations sharing Jesus Christ and planting churches. And as he got through laying out all the gospel in chapter 12, he says, present your bodies a living sacrifice. And then he says, don't be molded and shaped by the world. Now, we are being molded and shaped by the world. It's inescapable. It's ongoing. How can you combat it when you live in the world and we enjoy television and we can't even sometimes control, we can always turn it off, we can always change a channel, but the stuff that comes on and it's so subtly packaged. The things we listen to, social media, friends, we're being molded and shaped. When I became a Christian, I was not a blank slate. I was not pristine. <laughs> I was already headed in a lot of different directions. And God got a hold of me with the light and the truth, if you will, the lamp of what he had done for me, that he loved me so much that he sent his one and only son. That the work and accomplishment of his son freed me from the baggage, from the, from the drag of sin. Equip me with a clean heart, a fresh start, each and every day. Nothing stands between me, and this is true for you too in Christ, nothing stands between the good favor, the joy of the Lord. He loves you. He paid an incomparable price that's how much he values you. And that is a truth that will be fought over by this world. You'll doubt it yourself. And that's why 
that great truth, your forgiveness, your true joy, that he has a purpose and plan for your life, that you have a destiny, an inheritance, and it goes on and on. Read your Bibles. Read your Bibles. I, I've tried to live the Christian life for other people. It's impossible. But we can live our own. And we do it by treasuring the truth. It is the revealed word. It is the revealed truth. And that is how we're transformed, Paul says, in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. If you are not changing, you are not being transformed by the truth. Look into that. Evaluate that. Consider that. What is it? What's the disconnect? What am I not taking to heart and letting actually adjust the way I think, correct my thoughts, my opinions, my worldview? And that's the power of truth. You know, in in recovery programs, and I learned this back in the 80s when I was pastoring over in South San Francisco because as I have shared, and I won't share now, but we had a lot of, as we reached out into our community, we had a lot of, we had a couple of heroin addicts, cokeheads, alcoholics, and there's an acronym that means each letter, the first letter of each word in the acronym makes a new word that helps you remember, called a mnemonic device to help you remember. And it's called HALT. (laughs) I'm going to share it with you. HALT. H-A-L-T. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. When you're hungry, when you're angry, when you're... Hey, my mom always used to say, wait until your dad's had dinner. (laughs) Yeah. Even in middle America, there are little desert, dry, parching experiences that sometimes, but it shows us how vulnerable, susceptible we can become to the influence of outside powers, especially when we're operating on God's truth in the face of a world that wants us to believe only what we can see, hear, and touch, and feel. And I'll tell you, when you're hungry, angry, lonely, tired, you feel certain things that make you very vulnerable to doing what David did. The power of principles, the, so to speak, working clothes of God's truth is powerful in our lives and faith at work when we let it really transform us because it helps us to break free of that conforming, molding, shaping influence of falsehood in our lives. Wrong thoughts are changed by right thoughts. False thoughts are changed by true thoughts. Old thoughts by new, bad by good, dumb by smart, foolish by wise. And we need to learn to preach to ourselves. In the desert, even a David can fall into stinking thinking. The psalmist says 
to himself in Psalm 42:11, "Why are you cast down, O my soul?" There's a good <laughs> there's a good example of preaching to yourself. Talk to yourself. Why are you cast down? Why are you in turmoil within me? And then he challenges himself. Hope in God, I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Why is preaching to yourself important? Because no one is more important to you than you. You will not listen to anyone more attentively than you will listen to yourself. We listen to ourselves when we should be talking to ourselves, disputing what's bad and advocating what's good and truth, God's will and ways. When you go to a counselor, that's generally what at least a directive counselor is going to do with you. Try to change your stinking thinking. But they, if they're secular counselors, they do that on a horizontal plane. And they can have a lot of wisdom and insight into the, you know, the way it is in this world. But only in Christ can we have that vertical revealed truth in which we can be reminded of the great truths of redemption and the gospel of what God has done in Christ. What he's done with our past, what he wants to do with our present, and what he wants to do with our future. And that's so, so powerful. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he said, Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you're listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You've not originated them but they start talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday. Somebody's talking. Yourself is talking. Challenge that. Question it. Dispute it against God's Word. And the more you do that, the more you hide His Word in your heart. Again, Psalm 119. The more you hide His Word in your heart, the greater is your world view going to be in standing up against the falsehoods that are going to drag you down. And even the falsehoods that are hanging out, those residual things that we sometimes lean back on. I've got to preach to myself, and I do. But the power of truth comes from knowing and practicing the presence of God. And that's where truth and faith come together into action. So the second thing I want to elaborate on just briefly is observe the presence of God. With great daring, David accomplishes a great feat in chapter 26. Everything goes good and very good for him. David gets everything he could have wanted or hoped for. And 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel tells us God was right in the midst of it. But instead of, thank you, Lord, I praise you, Lord, we get chapter 27, verse 1. David starts to awfulize. Awfulize. You know, we, we say awesome, and sometimes we say awful. Awfulize. I like that word. I got that from a friend here. One day he called me up on the phone and he said, off, he said the word awfulize. And I said, what did you say? He said, awfulize. 
I said, I've never heard that before. Am I understanding it correctly? He said, yeah. We have a way of making things awful. And we awfulize. I'm giving it to you for free. You can thank Ryan Ward for that. I love it. I use it a lot. And that's what David is doing. He's awfulizing. And you can just hear the air leaking out of him. David stops practicing the presence of God, the awareness of God. And that's what we have to do to go the distance. Just as we have to treasure the truth, we have to observe, we have to practice the presence of God. There's a great thing that happens in our lives. We'll go along and then we'll look back. We'll take inventory and we realize, wow, God has been helping me. God has been at work in my life. And we see it in retrospect. We see it as we look back. The trick is to believe he's at work right now. And I just want to suggest two quick things that can help us do that. The first is know the truth, that God is present. Augustine said, why climb the mountains or go down into the valleys of the world looking for God who dwells within us? And he's not talking in some new agey sense. He's writing to Christians when he says that. We have God present with us in all things. Paul, he constantly saying, pray without ceasing. For example, 1 Thessalonians 5.17. You pray without ceasing because God is present. And so, preach to yourself and remind yourself, God is not far away. He's not over the rainbow. God is present. And then start to praise Him. That's the second thing, to really actualize the presence of God. Praise Him. Express gratitude. That's why Paul can say in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all things, all things, all circumstances, when they go right and when they go wrong. So often, we pray when they go wrong. We forget to praise Him when they go right. Paul is saying praise Him in all circumstances. Philippians 4, 6, don't be anxious about anything but in everything be by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. By the way, gratitude will energize you. It may be difficult to give thanks for that thing that is persistent or just tearing you up. Those things, read your psalmist. Express those things to the Lord. But also acknowledge all the things in your life around that thing that you're seeking his wisdom to handle. Acknowledge all those things around you. It will lighten the burden and it will put in perspective what is weighing on your heart. And what is weighing on your heart can enervate you. Gratitude can energize, grousing can enervate. You, that's a new word, huh? Don't you like it, though? Energize, enervate. Energize, we understand that. Enervate means just the opposite. Just bleed the energy out of you, drain you, make you feel very weak. 
progress of any kind encourages. Because an attitude of gratitude allows us to see that progress, see good, see God in all circumstances. Any of you fans of sports? I got to tell you, when I watch a game and my team is playing, Right now, I'm watching the Warriors when I can. I'm watching the Sharks when I can. I'm watching the Giants when I can. And I don't just cheer at the end of the game if they win. I mean, I cheer for the pitcher when he throws a strike, when a guy fields a ball, when they make a first down, whatever the sport is. I mean, we're aware of good things happening. It's progress toward a good end with respect to athletics. And in the same way, in our lives, we can do the same thing, and it can encourage us. How much more is this important in the game of life when we need to discover is the notion of progress in our minds as human beings, we measure in terms of what we can see as going forward as opposed to going backward. But what we have to realize is that in the plan of God, even setbacks can be a part of his master plan. And when we can have an awareness like that, we can begin to give thanks, as Paul says, in all circumstances, which means the things we see as good as well as the things we see as bad. And then prefer the plan of God. David says in his heart, in verse 1, there's nothing better for me. He should have said that about God's plan rather than his own plan. I know he couldn't trust Saul, and I know we can't trust Saul. Listen very carefully, but we can trust God. In your marriages, with that difficult, stubborn, persistent person in your life, maybe it's at work, Maybe it's your spouse. Sometimes we keep a record of wrongs. We're pretty good at that. We keep a record of our own wrongs. Remember I talked about singing and how quickly we fall back on the fact that we aren't perfect or we aren't worthy or it's hard for us based on... We do that same thing with other people. And what we have to really grasp to move forward and become more Christ-like is that we have to trust God when we can't trust people. And through trust in God, we can treat untrustworthy people in ways they don't deserve, just as God has treated us. If you can grasp that principle, and you're disheartened, you're hungry, angry, lonely, you're tired of this person, you're tired of this repeated situation, And when you retreat and give up, you're not being used by God in that person's life to introduce qualitative change, influence, a good word, positive, constructive influence, the very spirit and power of God. You are an agent of change. You are an agent of his will, too. He has a plan and wants you to be a part of it. We need to be moving with him. David was frustrated, gave up. But if we can prefer his plan, we'll stick with it. When I was, had 
applied for the PhD program, I was surprised to find out that they had a panel, admissions panel, and I had to go into a room with a bunch of people that I didn't know. I felt so small. I felt like Dorothy going in before the Wizard of Oz or the Tin Man, the Lion, the Scarecrow. And they said to me, why should we let you in this program? I would, yeah, it was really quick. I thought, I guess I could lie. I said, I'm going to tell them the truth because there's no point in getting in it any other way. And I said, well, I'm, I'm not the most intelligent, and I'm, I don't have the highest IQ. I'm probably not the brightest bulb in your program. I'll be honest with you. I'm a plotter. That's why I think you should let me in. I'm a plotter. And I looked around the room, and they began to smile and look at one another. And I was confused by that. And I said, I, I, I'm not quite sure how to understand what, what you're doing here. <laughs> and they said, well, we're smiling because that's exactly what it takes to get through a Ph.D. program. When I was at the church in South San Francisco, I learned something very, very important. It was a very great lesson. Faithfulness is the biblical definition of success. Not the outcome, but faithfulness. You know, we say it's not the destination, but the journey. So it is in the Christian life. And I realized that this day, Sunday, I have God's strength for anything that should come my way. And you do too. And this day is the only day I have and you do who? And I can live it in his strength. I can be faithful in this day, and then I start over tomorrow. I do the best I can with what I have in the strength and the power of his spirit this day. The race of faithfulness is one day long. The race of faithfulness is one day long. And I want you to know that faithfulness is not a long race. In fact, it's a series of many short races, one after another, one day after another. Each one is a day long. Does it take courage? Yes. But the only courage that matters is the kind that gets you from one day to the next. That's how you practically prefer the plan of God. That's how you wait for his plan to unfold. As Psalm 106.13 put it, they forgot what God had done and failed to wait for his plan to unfold. To remember what God has done, treasure his truth, observe his presence, and prefer his plan. And then you'll see the plan of God unfold. Go the distance. Here are some truths I want us to think about as we go to the Lord's Supper. Psalm 103.12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Just listen to these verses. Get the passage down if you like, but I want you to take this to heart. I want you to believe this. Accept it. Feel it. 
Apply it to the way you see your day, the future, yesterday. I, Isaiah 43, 25, I, I am he who blots out your transgression for my own sake. For my own sake. I will not remember your sins. Are there some sins you can't let go? Treasure that truth or that sin will get the best of you. Isaiah 53, 6, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We're all sheep. All sheep. We bleat and we bite. But God forgives us our sin. Blessed, this is Romans 4, 7 and 8. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. And Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you just practice that this week, each and every day, went over those verses at the beginning of the day, throughout the day, what a change of outlook you would have about your identity in Christ. The fact that God's power is not limited by your sin because Christ's sacrifice on the cross broke the power of sin in your lives. It's just the memory and the awareness of your failings that you are in progress Live in the present. Move forward in the Lord. Love as he has loved you. Forgive as he has forgiven you. And you'll start to see real change right where you're at. This is what validates that, the bread and the cup. This points to the historical reality of Jesus Christ's death for you. This is what we observe. And this is what we rejoice in. My body which is given for you, the new cup which is in my blood. The new cup, new life. Let me pray for us and we'll receive the bread. Father, may your spirit move powerfully on us even as we are here. Move in our hearts. Unlock them. Help us to appropriate, to claim, to accept your truth in ways perhaps that in our lives has encumbered us because we've been unable to take it to heart. Maybe this morning we're taking a new step in acceptance and appreciation of what you've done for us through faith. May we rejoice as we take this bread and this cup what we celebrate, what we are mindful of and remember because our lives are based on it and grow from it. And we praise you for your Son and your Spirit in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen.